sitting right here and Craig did vocals here and we filmed the video. I was standing there with my son behind me, but my son and I get to get together down here one or two days a week and we songwrite together. We hammer out ideas and, you know, maybe there's an album for us down the line, but. Uh, that's it, pretty special. It's kind of been great. Like you said, there's not a lot of good that's coming out of this pandemic, but I agree. I have a, I have two young daughters. I have a 10 and a five-year-old and the um, extra amount of time that I've been afforded with them is something that not, would have never happened. Right. So it is, yeah. a, it's a good way of looking at things, you know? Yeah. You find the beauty and the enjoyment in those moments when you can, you know, and Absolutely. sometimes when, sometimes when things are really dark, that's when uh, you appreciate the light. So, yeah. yeah. As for Casador, my job uh, before my last job, I was a music director at 94.9 The Rock in Oshawa with a guy you know a little bit, Doug Elliott. Not your Doug Elliott from the odds, yeah. but you guys know Doug A. Doug Elliott. Kingston, and, yeah. Yeah, from Kingston. Yeah, he was at K-Rock for a long time, and we featured Casador quite a bit. So I'm looking forward, hopefully, to be... Uh, be able to hear some new music from them. And uh, it is amazing what you said, you know, doing a string of, of money losing gigs, you know, and, uh, and it's something that I think every musician has to go through. I don't know. Yeah, if I could have, I could have warned them about that. You don't, you don't pack all the money losers into the first third of the tour. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case. Yeah. We, the you Casador, never know when there's going to be a pandemic. Casador is a favorite in our house too, because we've known Boris since before he was born and, and um, uh, my my son did some work on the video, uh, so they they were friends, or they're the same age, and they knew each other since they were kids. So it was fun to have them collaborate on the Underworld video. That's but, pretty. Uh, it's it, you know, Castor makes its way to Vancouver. We all go up to see it. They stay at our house, oh, and uh, and uh, you know, my my youngest son is probably their biggest fan but i'm sure there are other people out there hopefully who are contesting that right now <laughs> absolutely well that's the problem right how do you get out there how do you do that i don't know um if you're uh, if your guys your your management team told you this this podcast like I, I mentioned to you guys before we started recording like every radio guy who didn't have a job i wanted to start a podcast but i wanted to do something a little bit different i wanted it to be have have some direction so my podcast i, I like to say it's a podcast about change Everything we talk about on the show is under the umbrella of change and how change is the only constant in our life. And, but I think that makes us all experts in change. And this pa pandemic obviously has changed things unbelievably. So I'll start with a softball. How do you think the music industry has changed since you guys started? <laughs> uh, I, I can tell you from the, from the time Craig and I started working on this record, I was sending him CDs that I was burning. Right. And, uh, <laughs> And in the last year, we've been using Dropbox. So there, there's one change right yeah, for there. sure. Technology is yeah. a huge change. Let's talk yeah. about that, Craig. Like how? Like I know that was a big, stupid, open-ended question, but you know, kind of top-line uh, observations on the most was, important change. I was thinking about what you said about being experts at change, and I think what we've seen in the world in the last while is that if you don't want to be an expert in change, or you resist it, or you or you pretend it's not happening, uh, that's the worst situation to be in. And the people who are pretending that they can keep things the way that they envisioned the world, um, you know, it's pointless. Uh, and as far as music goes, both Rob and I got into it to actually make the music, the process of, of writing, the process of putting together an album, which we still believe in, and doing the things that 
seeing it as a finished painting that we're going to hand to somebody. So we don't have to change. We, you know, we, the way it's delivered is different. The way that people consume it might be slightly different, but the way we look at it in the creative process doesn't really have to change that much. Yeah. What we do is very much the same. Everything around us has changed. Yeah. <laughs> the industry, the industry that we started in, uh, doesn't even really exist. It's a completely different thing. Well, that's but, the point. Going back to what you're saying about Casador and other bands, you, uh, Craig, that you that you um, alluded to getting out there. I mean, how it's so the the world in which they the music exists for the last year at least is completely turned upside down. The live yeah. event is gone. Yeah. And that was such a big part to getting your bands out there. Well, yeah. we had just been through the, the disability to monetize music because all we had left was live music. Yeah. Recorded music is worthless to people. It's been devalued so much by file sharing and that all happened at a certain point. And, it, and at some point, my friend Jeremy Fisher, who you're probably well aware of, sure. a brilliant musician, said, I don't want to be old man who shakes fist at sky anymore. You know, uh, you know, I just want to now, I, this is what it is. We'll figure out how to do it. Tear all the money up into little pieces of confetti, throw it in the air and we'll go find it somewhere. You know, it's, yeah. it's, 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 it is what it is. You just got to keep making music. Yeah. We keep doing what we do. Yeah. You guys keep doing what you do and you're, uh, you're very obviously very good at what you do over the course of your careers. You know, you say you believe in the process and making have either of you ever had, and you don't have to name names or anything, but have you ever gone in with a producer and have that, you have this idea and they come out, they come in and they want to change the song for you or change more than you're like outside of your comfort zone or, or better yet, or even have you worked with a producer or somebody and they add something to it or they change it. And you're like, I didn't even think of that. Is like where where does the producer lay in the whole idea of a song for you guys? Well, <laughs> I don't know how deep I want to go into this one. As uh, deep as you want, man. Yeah, uh, we've worked with a variety of producers, or the hip worked with a variety of producers over the years, and uh, some of them were incredible, and some not. In our experience, the first time round. Uh, you give them the reins, you you know, they're in charge, or you give them the ball and see how far they can take it. Uh, if you work with them a second time, uh, you usually start to hamstring them a bit. You're second <laughs> guessing them because, you know, they know you, you know them, and uh, everyone knows their weak spots, I guess. Uh, the second time is rarely as good, but we had some great producers, Steve Berlin and uh, Don Smith. But uh, we did have, uh, <laughs> we had a producer who did two records for us. I don't particularly like the records and uh, it was a difficult time. It was hard. I don't think he understood the band and it was a really tar hard situation for us. There were some members of the band who loved it and some members of the band who really hated it. And uh, wow. it kind of tore us up. It was, it was really threw a wrench into the uh, under the hood of the car and messed up the engine. And uh, I think we had just kind of recovered from that when when tragedy struck, Captain yeah. Tragedy. Sure. 
Sure. Mm-hmm. And the, so when that happens, um, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess communication is the key, but I mean, you didn't really get the opportunity to kind of go back, I guess. What, what happens to those songs in your mind? I mean, I guess you didn't, again, didn't have a lot of time to play those live, but what happens to those songs when, when you have, when you don't enjoy them, when they're not something you're necessarily proud of? Uh, some songs, uh, don't have a life beyond the album. Some songs, uh some songs you take them on stage and, uh, the, the air and the audience and the live moment breathes new life into them. And, they're like Frankenstein's monster. They take on a life of their own and they change every night and it's a pleasure to play them. Right. And some songs, it doesn't matter how hard you, <laughs> how many volts of electricity you put into that thing. It's not coming to life. Wow. Yeah, so, it's true. I think that, that everything you do in the studio or that you do together and you put out there is defined by an audience after that it's defined by the person who owns the record and decides that it's the greatest thing. And this is what the lyrics are about. And this is what they mean to me and my, in my personal life. So you kind of surrender it. And some of them, like Rob is saying, they, they electrify, uh, they, they take on that the audience pushes you to, to make it great. And um, they're good vehicles somehow. Right. Uh, it's, it's the same for us. And I think, uh, the producer question from our perspective, we just rally around and destroy that person. <laughs> I mean, it's just, we were the worst. That's, that's why I think we've always made our own records uh, other than one. Uh, and and uh, having um, Susan Rogers and Jim Rondinelli early on in our careers were, was great. We really, we really love them, but we, did make everything so hard for them <laughs> yeah um you, you mentioned that songs getting their own life live do you guys uh individually have any do you have memories of that moment you know when you realized that things were changing when it was like this isn't just another band. And I know you guys were both young when you started with the odds and, and, and with the hip, but was there, do you have a moment or was it more of an evolution of, you know, maybe it's people singing the song back or what, like, are, do you have a little Polaroids in your head of moments where you're like, this is special? Yeah. I, the first time I ever played with those guys. Oh, really? It was, it was 1987 in the middle and I was going, definitely never gonna be in a band again, never. I was never gonna join a band. I'd had enough being in bands. I'd been in bands since I was 13. And I thought, I'm not, I'm not. I just, the politics of it, it, I just quit one. And then Paul Brennan, who was the original drummer of, of the band said, well, you know, Doug and Steven, you should come over and play with us. And I said, I know what you're doing. <laughs> I'm not coming, I'm not coming over. It took him a while to get me to go over there. And uh, so I went in there and it, within 10 minutes, we were writing a song and wow. it was, was us playing. And I went, okay, bands are cool. And if I can't do something good with these guys, I can't do something good. So that was, it was that very early on then. Yeah. <laughs> 10 we, minutes in. <laughs> we, we truly are brothers from other mothers because I was going to say the moment for me was uh 
one of our very first rehearsals in Gord Sinclair's parents' basement. <laughs> and uh, we were all in college together and we, uh, we got together and played, bashed out a few cover tunes. And then we wrote a song. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> worse, we are a success. This is <laughs> We've made it. <laughs> yeah. But beyond that, all the other stuff is so incremental. And uh, right. it was, we were never a band that had like, a, we have a five-year plan and a 10-year plan. Uh, we, we were more like, a, you know, 10-minute plan and a five-day plan. Yeah. That was it's rock and roll, right? <laughs> We're going to do this now, but it's, I find it, like you said, it's amazing. Both of you guys respectively knew that it was special. What about when you two guys got together? How, how did you guys meet? And then how did you start writing music together? Um, go, you you want to go? <laughs> uh, well, we just got that amazing call from, uh, from these guys from the hip. I think it was Gord Sinclair actually made the call, but found a phone number and said, Hey, we all love your record. Can you can you come hang out with us? <laughs> we went, yeah. yeah where, are you? where where are you? Well, we're in Seattle tomorrow at the Moore Theater, and we went great. We're going to get in the car. We drove down there. We live in Vancouver. Yeah, and uh, we've been friends ever since. It was just easy. It was like we were already the same band, and each time we've been together ever since. Any guy in the hip, um, we listen to music. We talk about music. We laugh like crazy and rob in particular it was just so easy it was like wow we've been we've been friends forever yeah craig and i were talking when we were doing the tracking the bass and drums for this record in craig's studio where he's sitting right now uh i i think i asked him uh, what was the first record you bought with your own money great question and uh he answered the question and it was the exact same record first yeah. record that i bought with my own money that's amazing so you know it just tells you where we're of the same same cloth or you know cut yeah. from the same time and circumstance and you end up doing the same thing with your life uh there's so much overlap that it's just a it's a natural fit and what was I, the record uh hey jude the beatles the compilation in 70 but i think i think the um the idea of musicians, especially Canadian musicians, when you meet the other guitar player from the other band, it's likely if you're around the same age, you've led a par very parallel existence. You know, usually culturally, maybe not, but uh, it's it's. I think there really is a um, natural thing you fall into. There's no. It's not not a real. There's no real sense of competition. Right. Like it's, it's, I think everybody, it seems like, especially from a certain era, it seems like everybody wanted everybody else on board. And I got oh, in the ring. Oh, Bob. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, very, just a few, just a few. You don't know there. the hip very well. <laughs> you guys taking when, guys down from the inside? Oh, when we started out, we were so ruthless. We would find a band that, you know, oh, these guys think they're hot. <laughs> let's get that let's get them on the bill and steamroll them <laughs> oh my lord we, we were ruthless we were so competitive and I, that stuff I've, falls away as you grow up i guess or as your testosterone levels dip but <laughs> yeah we were brutal in the beginning oh see i'm so glad we didn't we didn't meet it at, at that time <laughs> i can uh i can remember seeing um 
Jim Cuddy in an interview talking about the first time that Blue Rodeo had been hipped, quote unquote. Uh, some, they were playing out in Newfoundland and uh, you guys were closing the show. I think it was some big festival. And in the middle of their set, it's just hip, 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 hip. I think at that point, maybe you guys were probably a little older, but it's, uh, it's definitely been a thing. The, no, they, were, they had a year or two on us, Blue Rodeo. Yes, they did. They were, they were one of the bands that were like two yeah. years ahead of us. And we were like, we have to take them down. We yeah. must take them down. <laughs> and then, of course, we played on a bunch of bills with them. And I swear that they were up for it. They were every bit as competitive as we were. And they get on stage. And I was like, geez, I thought these guys were kind of soft and lightweight. They'd come on stage and they would rock hard when they played in they front blow, of us. Blow, blow, blow I was like, the off damn them. <laughs> they're making us up our game uh, i love those guys though oh they're yeah, sure that's they're... fine fine band and they're great guys but uh yeah i remember that gig in newfoundland you do remember i remember i saw him talking i think it was peter mansbridge around when when gord was sick i think i saw i saw that uh saw him say that and i and i have been at a few shows where uh the the bands prior to were were hipped indeed and uh it's always uh, interesting to see how the bands re- um uh respond to it uh, how has um, let's you know your guys? You go back to what motivated you know the the Rob, Rob. You're saying the competition did motivate you at this point in your career. You know the creative juices are still there. What's the motivation now? Like why? Like what gets what gets you going uh, to take the time? You guys both could probably just chill and not write new music together. But what's the what what's driving you to do that? Wait a minute. That's an option. <laughs> <laughs> no it's not you're crazy <laughs> we we don't know how to stop yeah i think i think we use music to um make our lives complete you know i think yeah. i don't think i know how to stop it my my wife is very passionate about her um path her career and uh she's she she's thinking of retiring soon because there's a lot of burnout in her field she's in, in healthcare, mm. and uh and I just look at her and I think, retire? What the hell? I don't, what are we going to do? Because I can't do that. I don't yeah. know what that is. I, I am retired. This is yeah. what I do. <laughs> I honestly. When they, I, when they hit played their last note, I'm like, I guess I'm retired. What am I going to do? Well, I guess I better start writing some songs and I, <laughs> I should start practicing the guitar. I've done it for 35 years. It's about time I got good. So. I, I consider myself, years ago, I retired from the music business. In fact, I never thought I'd ever been in it. And that's where songs like We Are the Underworld and our name, Strippers Union, comes from is it's, there, you feel like the system was created for someone else, musicians and uh, strippers objectified and treated poorly and not not ever considered as human and and the whole idea is you just exist in your own thing and you just keep going and makes its own gravy yep that's interesting that you say that because i actually i had a question here about the the themes in we are the underworld and you know kind of what the story is about or and i would never I would never try to get, you know, through to, I, w- I wouldn't dare guess what a song means, but the, the underworld seems kind of far away from where you guys are now, you know, like those, yeah. those grotty little bars and, you know, people, you know, selling drugs in the, in the, uh, in the bathrooms and stuff. I don't, yeah, I that's, don't know. That's one underworld. <laughs> I think, it, I don't think it's meant in that same way. I think it's sort of meant like 
there's a glass ceiling for women. There's there's right. these ideas of of the way things work that marginalize people <clears throat> and make them feel marginalized anyway. Right. And uh, I guess it's a, a cry of solidarity. Hey, we're with we're with each other. You know, yeah. it, this this system doesn't fit fit everybody. No kidding. Yeah, yeah Craig and Craig and I have talked about this and the idea that you know you have your your raccoons and coyotes and uh, squirrels and rats. It's uh, it's our world. We it's our system, but they find a way to exist in it, right? Yes. They they carve out their own little niche and they do their thing. And uh, I think most people feel the same way about the world around them. They're you know this the systems that we live in and our workplace and who who our bosses are and the whole thing i think most of us feel a little bit alienated from all of it the music I, industry as a musician it's like i look at the music industry i'm like i i don't know i don't know <laughs> I, all i can do you know you can't control any of it all you can do is turn inward and try and be good and, and i think this is something we talked about when we were writing it that i just remembered when you were talking about um the animals we were talking about crows how fascinating and how highly evolved they are and how they find ways to, to game the system. And uh, I think that those are the people, those are the animals, those are the people we're most interested in. We want to be around those people and hang out with them. And, uh, and that's a lot about when you look at a musician that wound their way through all this stuff and got heard somehow. Frequently, it's a really convoluted, way and it's right. really fascinating you know when we read autobiographies and biographies of people how many do you like where the person's just handed the thing here you go <laughs> i don't want to read that there's got to be some struggle right and that's part of yeah. being an artist too that what you're talking about there too is again kind of falls within the umbrella of the show of change and the ability to change like crows like you said they find a way right yeah and so here's you two guys finding a way together how, how tell me about the the change in your processes either together or individually um what are the major changes in how you've written music over the years i mean obviously you know there's the old adage you have your whole life to write your first album and then you got like a year to write the eight months to write the next one you guys have so many albums behind you and side projects and different things what how do you how how how, how have you navigated those changes and kept the creative juices flowing yeah, I think uh, I think on some level it's been liberating to be uh, out of the game. As I said, uh, I'm a retired musician, <laughs> and uh, you know uh, I had the jack post of my life pulled out, and my house collapsed, and my dreams went up in smoke. And I was like, okay, what am I going to do now? That that's over. What do I do? Well, uh, you lay awake in bed at night and you twiddle your thumbs and you fret and you worry and uh, you think you've lost your self-identity and all this stuff happens to you. Uh, the only way I could cope with it, and it's the way everyone copes, they do yoga or they run or they take up a hobby painting. or uh, And for me, it's playing music and writing songs. So I come down to my studio and chase down an idea. And while I'm doing that, I don't even exist. 
I'm not thinking about uh, what I'm going to do for my next act. I'm not thinking about anything other than this musical idea and where that's leading me. And I'm just following, trying to serve that. So uh, all that time on my hands, you know, and not tied to an 18 month album cycle or any of this stuff. I'm retired, just trying to beat back the demons. <laughs> sure. And, and suddenly I've got 50 songs here. Wow. And uh, I started to share them with Craig. Amazing. I think that we were, you know, this band is kind of built for the times we're in right now because we're used to being away from each other and sharing ideas, whether it was, as Rob mentioned before, mailing me a CD uh, full of ideas and me sitting here and listening to them and, and writing back and saying, I like this one and this one. Do you mind if I work on this one? And what do you think this is about? And you can do that in an email uh, or you can do that on the phone. And um, I don't know how much that process has changed. I mean, when we actually are together, it's so much faster. It's like a, a, a condensed period where a bunch of songs come out and then we can um, gussy them up and chop the edges and polish them after that. But uh, I think that is in terms of your question about how things have changed for us, I think it's kind of the same, same with, with within my own band that's still a you know functioning organism. Um, I, I sit by myself, I come up with something and I don't finish all of it on purpose and I bring it to the other guys and I say, what do you think of this? I think there's something in here and I've, I've, I've hung it on a few of these words and that gives them a chance to put something into it. And now that one of us lives a little farther away and we can't see each other, we can do that the same way. I can send it around to people. I asked this of Stephen Page, formerly of Bare Naked Ladies, when I had him on a couple of weeks ago. Rob, when you were when you were when you had your day job and you were writing and you had the 18 month cycle or whatever, did you ever feel any pressure to write a certain way? Like, did you feel that's not a tragically hip song ever like that when you were coming up with riffs or or the beginning of a song? Do you ever feel like ah, maybe I'll just save that for myself or another project? Uh, I never. Well, I don't know. That's a good question. Uh, I suppose there were times where I. I we were all writing songs. There are five of us writing songs yeah. and bringing them to the band. And uh, there are you know, maybe 12 spots on the record. So if you get two songs on the record, you're pretty happy about that. But meanwhile, that year you wrote 15 songs or 20 right. songs. So you have this backlog of material. So you do get selective about, I think the band would work better on this than right. on this even though I'm more excited about this one, I don't necessarily see the other guys getting as excited about it. But uh, as Craig said, interesting that Craig said that uh, you would never, I would never bring a finished song to the band. That's just never. something that never happened with, with the no, band. No, if you brought a finished song to the band and said, okay, and the bass line goes like this, it's dead. Wow. <laughs> and here's, the, here's kind of the drum vibe, dead. Not gonna happen. It was always it's, collaborative. It was always collaborative, and it uh, everyone had to feel that they were a part of the song, or it was not moving forward. Was that the same way so, with Gods too, Craig? Um, 
Not, not ex in exactly the same way. I always found the HIPS process was so unique and democratic, right. and I've, I've written an essay on it before and tried to, tried to. I think it's amazing, but in in the odds, it's really similar. But I think that our vision of what we love is so unified in a lot of ways that they're okay with me saying, "Here, I played the bass on this. What do you think?" I know that they've got the confidence to do it better than I did it. <laughs> you know, even if it's the same part that I wrote, there's no way I could play like Doug Elliott. And there's no way I can bring a song alive like that. So they have confidence to know that their contribution is still going to feel like them and they'll chuck away <laughs> anything they don't like. So, uh, so it's and, and it, it, it might take them six months of chipping away at it, like constantly just undermining it, but uh, it, it'll work. It, it'll be there soon enough. And as they did with this record of ours, uh, I would present Craig with these finished song ideas or finished, not a finished song idea, a finished musical piece with no lyrics, no vocal and uh, I had originally thought, well, it's going to have, I will do all the bass and program all the drums. And it'll just be Craig and I. And there were a couple of songs that really were crying out for Pat and Doug, because I know that those guys have played together so long, they function as a unit and they bring this magic that, that only a team like that can bring. So uh, I took the hard drive out to Vancouver and got those guys to play on a couple of songs and it ended up being like 17 songs in three days Wow! because they're just, they're a machine and they're so good. And, uh, you know, they used what I had as a guide, but if, if it wasn't, <laughs> if it wasn't right, they came up with something way better. And if it was right, they made it better anyways. So that's yeah, amazing. I think those guys or any musician that, that I know really, has a sensitivity, um, not to not to drop a, a name, but one of my mentors was Warren Zevon, and we we just accidentally fell into being his band at one time in, in our young life, as you know, after our first album. And when we were when we were going to play his music, I remember I was kind of terrified because he was a hero of mine, and all of a sudden I'm in the same room and I'm making music with this guy. And I said, what do you want us to do? Like what, what he said, you know what's good about what I do. You already told me you like the records. You know what's good. Keep that stuff. The rest is yours. And I think that's a great attitude to have when you're collaborating with somebody is, I, I know it, what, if I were to play a hip song and, and the strippers unions played a couple of them over time. And, and of course I, you know, in odds, sometimes we do our little homages and we've covered them. You know what you cannot change. That's staying the same. That's, and, and this is this is how you flex it. And this is how you breathe your own life into it. Craig, have you, uh, you're, uh, well, let me ask Rob first. Rob, have you ever been interested or or, or dabbled in, in lyric writing, in, in writing writing lyrics? Oh yeah, I yeah. do. Uh, I have. He's part I've of this. A, he's part of this here. Got a, he, he writes, some, some oh yeah. Rob oh, no. lyrics. Rob and I, it's a collaboration, especially when we're in the same room. I tend to steamroll because I get on a roll and he'll go grab grab me a coffee. And I 
I accidentally blurred out a whole whack of stuff, but it's all chipped and sculpted by the two of us. Where do lyrics, where do lyrics come from for you guys? That's a big question. I know it's kind of open-ended, but where, you know, where do you, what do you when, pull on? What do you when, do? when Craig and I are, I'll give you an example okay. of uh, uh, writing for this record. Uh, Craig was in Toronto. He had a day off in Toronto, couldn't get down to Kingston. I said, no problem. I'll take the train up to Toronto. We'll hang out for the day and bang out a tune. So I brought my laptop up and uh, like we always do, we sat down and had a coffee and started talking about our families, our dogs. Uh, we talked about the new Ricky Gervais series, which we both loved and the relationship he had with his dog, which led to me talking about an Afghan vet I met in Kingston who had a companion dog and how I thought this was a beautiful thing. Next thing I know, uh, we've taken this musical piece that I have and Craig said, well, I think we should write it about a companion dog, but why don't we write it from the dog's perspective? Nice. And, and we have to be strict about that. It's only what the dog would think. And uh, it just became a little exercise and we, we laughed and laughed, oh, sure. <laughs> throwing ideas back and forth. And uh, it's actually, it's the song Dog Star on the record. And it's a beautiful, uh, it's a very emotional song. I get very verklempt when I listen to that song. So That's a very, thank you for sharing that. Because that's a very specific story about how lyrics have come to you guys together. Yeah, but we we yeah. sit and we, we just shoot the breeze about our lives and what's happening. And these things... Uh, they spin out because we're not, there's nothing special about us. Our experiences are common experiences that everyone has. And if we can just uh, find a way to match uh, some words to the emotion of the music and get those to match up, it's going to have resonance for people. If it has resonance for us, it'll have resonance for other people. That's the only way we can really approach it, I think. I think, I think that's what's fun. I, I say fun because it is for me. I, I, I live for that is that uh, Rob does these, these sculptures in his basement. And my challenge is to, to sit there and feel it for a little while and go, well, what does it feel like? What, it, what, did this, what does this music need? Sometimes it doesn't need anything in my mind at the time. So I move on to the next one. And at a certain time I go, I hear a note and I hear where, what this makes me feel like. And I picture something in my mind, like when, uh, you know, as a kid, my mom's a classical musician and she used to say, close your eyes and you can hear the composer telling this story. And can you, can you see those little guys running in the cave and all this kind of stuff? And she, I, I create this picture in my head and a lot of times it's the same um, reflex or the same skill when I was listening to Rob's pieces. I just go, oh, it makes me feel like this guy's living in a, oh, he's been in a mining disaster and he's got a harmonica and he's trapped under the, under the earth and he can hear the trains going by over top of him. And that became a song, you know, it started with the fact that uh, Rob may put harmonica in the title of the instrumental. I composed the whole thing around a harmonic minor scale. And I just give these things stupid titles like uh, 
open G capo five or harmonic minor. And Craig is like harmonic minor, <laughs> minor with a harmonica. <laughs> it writes itself. <laughs> yeah, so like easy. At that point. <laughs> so easy. It's like candy from a baby. There, exactly. Just you guys, you know, you guys should write, you could do a Ted talk on songwriting now. <laughs> <laughs> How? Who has 10 minutes to talk to anybody about music? Oh, it's true. Well, I'm glad you guys do. I really appreciate it. I can't thank you enough. And I won't take up too much more of your time, but I was, I was joking. Okay. <laughs> um, it's interesting what you said about your mom there with the, in listening to classical music and trying to listen for what the composer was trying to convey essentially as songwriters. When you guys, I ask this to almost every musician I talk to, when you put a song out there, I think my understanding is, and I'm only a guy who plays music and listens to music and loves music. I don't have the skill to play it, but I do know how much music has meant to me as a fan and how much, what, what the song means is my, it's my experience. How does it feel? You guys have probably heard this, felt this, you've been approached by fans and you hear about a song and they say it's changed their life or it's your band or something specific. How does it feel to know that the stuff you've done has changed people's lives? Does that, does that ever hit you or you guys just don't want to go there because it's too much pressure? It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. It, uh, yeah. It's it can get pretty intense. Uh, uh, on some level, you kind of have to keep it at arm's length and right. uh, you can acknowledge, you know, that's wonderful. I'm glad it touched you. Uh, wow, that is quite a tattoo. Uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Why, why you needed my face tattooed larger than life on your back? I don't know, but <laughs> whatever, yeah. oh, wow. whatever it is. Thought of that. Wow. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, there, it can get weird, but uh, it's gratifying. I would never, you know, I get asked a lot. We used to get asked a lot about. Uh, What's Gordon's lyric about? What does this song mean? Right. And a song means what it means to you. Yeah. Right. If, yeah. if uh, you could explain what the song meant in 30 words or less, you wouldn't write a song. You'd be a writer. You yeah. know, you'd, you'd do something else because right. you wouldn't be a song. Songs are their own thing. Right? I, I think in terms of, my own writing over the years i'm pretty i'm a pretty obscure lyricist like there's some pretty weird stuff and uh it's not it's not straight ahead love songs or anything like that and gord was the same and gordon and i got along great on this topic and um we we collected language the same way and did some you know we talked about our process a lot he and i anyway but um one of the things about the having those obscurities and those diversions and the, the the melding of two two or three ideas in something is it does really allow the listener in so far they can they can live with it for so long because it has layers to it it also protects you as a writer from from stuff that's you just got to keep buried deep down inside you. <laughs> so, so lately I think in, in like this new odds record, I, I, I'm for some reason came out of that in a, on a few songs and it scared the shit out of me. 
you know, I, I, I peeled off the layer of obscurity and metaphor and uh, um, I wasn't really used to it. So there's, uh, so sometimes the, the song can mean something very definite. Um, I discovered that. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, and it can mean something completely different to somebody like me. Yeah. Right. And, and has, have you ever found that upsetting? Not upsetting, but I guess yeah. if somebody enjoys your music, they enjoy your music. But if somebody says, oh, that song changed my life because of this and in your head, you're like, wait a minute, that's not at all what I meant. Yeah, it, it, well, it, it, it can venture into pretty dark places over right. the years. There were lots of uh, stalkers and right. crazy stuff. People thinking the songs were written about them or, oh, wow. or that they're getting messages. Yeah, yeah, it can get weird. <laughs> yeah, that so. the Manson element is something that you gotta, you you, don't, you never want to happen. You don't want your song to mean something destructive or right. Uh, anything number like nine, that. number nine. <laughs> yeah. If you were gonna give some advice, and I'm sure you guys get approached all the time to give advice to a young musician, tell me the what's the difference between the advice you would have give them 20 years ago versus the advice you'd give them now about getting into the music industry in general? I would, mine would be exactly the same. And I, I bet you I can tell Rob, I can tell what Rob is thinking right now. And I could probably say the same words that Rob is about to say, is that when you get asked that question, and Rob, you, you just give the thumbs up if I'm right. <laughs> if you're going to get into the music business for any other reason than the fact that you feel you, that's all you can do, that this is what I'm compelled to do, this is, I don't have a choice. I'm gonna make music and that's what I'm going to do. And the work disappears. There's no work to it at all because it's what you're doing. You don't, you don't feel any stress about all those other things that are going around you like poverty or anything like that. Uh, then don't be a musician unless that's how you feel because if you're doing it to be famous or you're doing it to be um, liked for, you know, for the attention and the adulation, it's the wrong reason and you're not going to be happy and successful. Is that about right, Rob? No, I was going to say, go for the throat. <laughs> <laughs> Those early competitive days of the tragically hip inviting bands that thought they were better than them onto the stage. No, that's a, uh, that's exactly it. You, you don't really have a choice. As I said, I, I retired as a musician. I'm no longer a musician. I'm, my touring well, days are done. Well, I'm, no, not I'm not fair. a musician that's anymore. Not fair. <laughs> and, and I spend all my time in a studio playing guitar and writing songs. Or, you know, if I'm not doing that, maybe I do a little art. But I used to do that, you know, painting and drawing as well. So uh, you you do it because you have to do it. It's just a, it's a natural extension of who I am. And I think I knew that pretty young like long before the hip yeah it was yeah. how am i going to make this work for me because i can't do anything else sounds like me in radio I'm yeah. saying, isn't that a good isn't that a good feeling though it you? is I, it's yeah. funny i have friends i mean the radio industry is obviously this week's been horrible and uh, a lot of people lost their jobs and i have friends of mine who have left the industry and said i can't believe you're still in it after 20 plus years going back to the humble and fred show and cfny and across a whole bunch of things and now running two radio stations in kingston hello rob and uh mm -hmm. you know but it is it's all i know and it's all i want to do 
is be involved in radio and talk to pe creative people and try to make radio better. You know, so I, I can kind of relate. I wish I, I wish I could play a guitar, but I can kind of relate about the passion side of it. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's so, true. You retire from the business, but you don't retire from music, you know. Right, you that's could always in you. You could consider yourself retired as well, Bob. The same, same in yeah. the same spirit of it. Yeah, I, I think you, I think you get into it into the music business or into being a musician uh, because you're a fan. You love music and you're a fan of it. And as long as you stay a fan of it, you know, as long as you get excited by music, uh, it's just natural. If you hit a point in your life where it's not exciting you anymore. You need to change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you, um, I've, okay. I'll have two more questions and I'll let you guys go. I appreciate it. Uh, do you guys still, so obviously you still love music. How have your, uh, how have your, your tastes in music changed over the years? Do you find yourself still, do you go, are you still seeking out new music from new people or you have your, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I, uh, uh, I hope it's not upsetting to you. <laughs> I have a radio show on Friday nights on Sirius XM. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. So I get on once a week and I do that on the tragically hip station. Yeah. Oh, and okay, I get, cool. to, to, get to play the tunes that, uh, that get me off. I used to DJ for the guys on the bus. Oh, and nice. DJ backstage before the show. And I do the mixtapes got played in the front of house and all that. Oh, stuff. nice. But, before I wanted to be a guitar player, I wanted to be a DJ because I really thought that's how you're going to change the world. Yeah. 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 You don't change the Well, maybe change the world a little bit, but so you, yeah. you, you would change me. Yeah. Well, you, so, yeah, so, sure. EJ that's got right. me falling in love. You know? Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so first Usher yeah. uh, reference of the day, <laughs> but, but I, uh, I continually seek out new music. I have a 25 year old son who's a musician uh, and there's lots of music we don't agree on and there's lots of music we do agree on. We're constantly exposing each other to music and he likes a lot of what I like and vice versa. Craig, you're still listening to lots of new music. Oh yeah. All the time. I, I like anything that's genuine. You know, I it's, there's no genre that I, I, I dismiss or anything. And I, um, I just, I go anytime I feel that somebody really means what they're doing. That's what I like. You can hear it right away, no matter what the style of music is, either, too, can't you? You can kind of, you can, right away, you can sniff out the, the things that are a little more uh, manufactured, if you will. I love manufactured stuff, though, which is, just, is weird. Like, I love, I love bubblegum stuff from the 60s, you know. Pop music, fruit, great pop music. 1910 Fruit Gum Company and... Uh, <laughs> And the, the lemon pipers and yeah, the partridge family. I love, you know, I, I love all that sort of stuff. Early, early monkeys with all, Tommy Tedesco and all the session musicians. I, oh, you know, I, I love that my, stuff. The, the monkey's second album is a masterpiece. Classic. And, it's, and that's completely prefabricated. And the idea is to have a hit and, the Beatles, you know, McCart Lennon and McCartney used to get together and say, Let let's write ourselves a swimming pool today. You know, it's, it's, there can be some, um, that's still genuine to me. They're still working at something together and they're, they, and they know it has to be good. Well, I mean, I was a guy who's programmed pop radio for a long time that you can tell the pop music that is, you know, heads above the others there that, yeah. 
is, you know, there's, uh, I mean, I, I could go way deep right now, but I won't, I mean, you know, when Billie Eilish breaks and she's wonderful. And then all of a sudden every other label has four other Billie Eilish's. Those are the hard yeah. ones to wrap your head around, but that doesn't stop that Billie Eilish is amazing or that Adele yeah. is amazing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you, it's yeah, copycats after. Oh yeah. yeah. They're, and they're it's uh, amazing. Yeah. There's uh, as Craig said, it's, it's not a genre thing. There's great music in all genres. And I don't know a percentage, call it, 10%, it's probably like 0.1%, yeah. but there's great music across the board. Uh, there's so much of it now that it, the challenge is sifting through. But I sit down every week and look at everything that got released on iTunes, Amazing. all the albums, and I sample tunes, listen nice. to, you know, if after two or three songs, sampling them on a record, it's like, I hear nothing here, I move on. Move on, yeah. If I buy two songs from a record, I commit to buying the album. That's great. That's helping. I mean, you guys know that firsthand. The economics of the business have changed unbelievably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so it's great that you guys that you do that and you use your show to uh, to to you know pump the tires of some kids that need it. Hopefully. Yeah, yeah. and it's uh, it's interesting. I love the idea that I can have a, a genreless show that I can play uh, Artie Shaw and Eminem on the same show if I want. That is living the dream as a guy who programs <laughs> radio. That is living the dream as a radio programmer, yeah. a guy who used to, you know, my dad was a DJ, you know, doing, you know, weddings and bar mitzvahs and whatnot. And uh, that's what got me into music. So I know, I know exactly what you mean about the ability to just have a great open-ended playlist. And that's what we all do now, right? You know, we all have them on Spotify and on iTunes and all that. Uh, the album actually is out tomorrow. Is the is the album the same title as the first single? Is it "We Are the Underworld"? I got this right. No, the album's called "The Undertaking." The Undertaking. My apologies. Which, I have the page right up in front of me. There's a there's a little bit of gallows humor in there that relates to the times. Yeah, <laughs> but, no kidding. But it was uh, early on. I just decided uh, there's a lot of material, and I don't really want to start cutting songs. I'm a big believer in editing. Cut till it hurts. But my motto this time around is leave them wanting less. <laughs> How many tracks are we looking at? 18. 18 tracks. So yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a gatefold. You can clean your seeds out on using the gatefold record. Yeah. It's pretty great. Um, yeah. That's a dream a, come true. You could, you could hustle a pigeon out of your kitchen with it. <laughs> <laughs> but not a raccoon. You need something bigger for raccoon. No, a raccoon. You, you need gloves for that. You need that in a box. Some, some sort yeah. of box. Uh, you just make some popcorn and put on a show for them. <laughs> uh, I will. I, I would be remiss, Rob, if I didn't ask just quickly, not to end on a, on a, on a dour note or anything, but that forced retirement of yours. Um, obviously, it took you a long time to, to come to grips with it. Um, I'm happy. I just wanted to say I'm, I'm happy to see that you've, uh, you, you're still writing music and you're still, you, you found a way, even though you say you're retired, I'm glad you're really not. And uh, as a fan of the Tragically Hip, um, I it's obviously we're going to miss that music. But I'm really glad that you've you've continued to uh, to make music with guys like Craig. And I'm looking forward to hearing a lot more. I appreciate that. Thank you. All right. So tomorrow is the day. I mean, this will I mean, this lives on forever in the podcast world. But Friday, the uh, 5th of February is the release date. I would like to ask about live dates, but we know that that's not possible for quite some time. Would you guys tour? Would you? Would you? Would you? Would you tour in 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 near future? If it were I'm not possible? adverse to playing shows. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
tour. Uh, <laughs> wow, 35 years of touring. I can't sleep in a hotel anymore. Yeah. I can't, uh, can't sleep on a tour bus. The stuff that uh, you are so excited about to get out on the road when you're 25 years old. Uh, yeah, the excitement, the drive for that is gone. Sure. But the getting up on stage and playing with friends and making music and reacting for reaction from an audience, uh, that doesn't get tired. So, so maybe I, I still love that. So I was going to say maybe, you know, a little bit of that magic you talked about, about certain songs in a room, they just take a life of their own. And maybe one of yeah. the, maybe some of these 18 have, uh, have that in them. Eh? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. Well, um, uh, I know right now, I think you can go to the hip.com to buy the vinyl. I know there's about a, there's a limited amount of vinyl out there. And uh, I think there are about 300 left. Oh, really? Get your, pre-orders get your copy in. now. Pre-orders in. <laughs> uh, Craig, I'm, I want to say I love your text from Craig on the Stephen Page Saturday <laughs> night shows. Uh, that's fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, just lurking and lurking and sniping jokes is uh, everybody's dream. It's true. And, you, and he's created a whole jingle for it too. So it's pretty great. Yeah. Yeah, well, I sit here in my, I have a similar existence to Rob. I sit in this chair. I've been in it 14 hours a day for a few months now doing Tall Boys, which is a show I do for CBC. And uh, and I do Corner Gas Animated. And uh, I, my side gigs for the last, oh, geez, 25 years has been TV music too. So it's easy. I, I think in... Uh, in little uh, audio memes like that. I, yeah, I mean, that's a whole other thing. I, I, we, I know that Stephen was doing music for Stratford and, you know, taking yeah. all, and you're doing music for TV. Uh, well, you're both, we're both very lucky as a music fan. As a music fan, I'll say, uh, both very, um, feel very lucky to have the opportunity to speak to you and to hear your music. And I can't thank you enough for uh, taking the time to come, on, to come on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Oh, we appreciate it. Thank you very Thanks, much. Bob. Nice questions. We got to stop making changes. This has been Bob's Basements. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob at bobwillette at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette. Like Gillette with a W. Follow Bob on Twitter at Bob Willette. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.